The following programming has been made possible in part by the generous support of BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialists. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, BITS provides career development for computer professionals. For over 50 years, BITS has been on the forefront of industry, promoting and advocating on information access and technology that improves the quality of life for people who are blind and visually impaired. Learn more about BITS programs and how to become a member by visiting their website at www.bits-acb.org. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. It's such bizarre music. Um, this is Paul Edwards. Welcome to Tuesday Topics. You know, you 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 picture that music. Um, constituting a bunch of uh, uh, ducks or geese kind of running down the edge of the river. Um, but welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm Paul Edwards, your host. And uh, this evening, I'm very fortunate to have somebody who, as I indicated in, in my, in my write-up for top. Tuesday Topics tonight, is not only ta-da, a friend, um, but is is really a mentor as well and has helped me no end in terms of um, determining how I look at ACB and how I look at uh, at what ACB is about. So welcome, Scott Marshall. Thank you. And uh, Rick, I thought you were going to say, here's Paul. Uh, isn't he the Johnny Carson of ACB radio? Yeah, he he, luckily, he doesn't do that. Oh, he doesn't do that. Do you have a no. couch? Can we sit on, a, on your virtual couch and we, have we a heart to heart talk? Just you we and can. me and we your can. closest we can. friends? Really? We can sit right next awesome. to each other. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You know, the last time we were sitting this close together, and I should no. explain this uh, because this is family radio, it was on a bed, Paul. It was. We had a hotel room. And I can't remember where, but you probably do remember where. And we were working on resolutions together. I do remember. That you was had that. Your, you had your verse of Braille and I had mine. Right. And they talked to each other. And we talked yeah. to each other. And we yeah. printed out resolutions using the modified Perkins Braille writer. Yeah. Um, and all sorts of cool things at the time. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And we were, we were the first... We were the first couple to use um, electronic technology for resolutions. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it was it, pretty fun. Pretty fun. Yeah, it was kind of cool. And of course, it, I didn't know anything back then either. Uh, oh, I, I think you did. Add, no. <laughs> oh, you, you let, let me disabuse you of that idea right now. I, uh, you know, I, I, kind of got into the advocacy business early because my parents were oriented that way. They were uh, very good people. Uh, one was a Republican, one was a Democrat, so they canceled each other out. Interesting. <laughs> but they and, also and you, organized. Go ahead. You lived in upstate New York. At right the beginning. outside of Buffalo. Correct. Right yeah. outside of Buffalo. And they organized what was called back at the time the uh, Association of uh, Parents of the Handicapped, which was a local organization. We had at the time in, in our uh, suburb of Buffalo, 
a facility for what for people with developmental disabilities. Of course, that was not was not the term that they used back then. And the whole idea of the association was to get community services going and to get people out of an institutional setting whenever possible and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I kind of got the advocacy bug back then and figured out that um, over the years, in order to get something done, it takes a team. And I'm not talking about Microsoft Teams. Uh, uh, I'm talking about uh, uh, people teams that support you, make it happen, help you, mm-hmm. encourage you when you're down, uh, and uh, let you know you did the right thing uh, or that you oh. could do better. You know, Were you that. going to mainstream classes all the way through? No. Uh, most of the time. Uh, I started out in uh, public schools in, in Buffalo, New York. Um, and this was before idea, uh, right. and, but they did a good job. I had a, a, a great, uh, you know, site saving class, but there's not much site there to be saved. I think most of us were, uh, totally blind. And, um, my dad, and this was a, this was a downer, but one of many, one, one, one many, one of his many jobs was he drove the handicapped bus. I don't know if the bus was handicapped or, or whether we were uh, to the schools in Buffalo, which brought the kids from the suburbs in for, for um, you know, for school. And I couldn't misbehave on the bus because my dad was a driver. So there you go. Oh. Drag. That is a shame. Yeah, it was a shame. It was a shame. But anyway, uh, that's how that's how all that worked. I did go to the school for the blind in uh, Batavia, New York. Uh, met some people that I still know there from there today. Uh, was that for high school, high school or for junior, junior high, high? Junior high school. Yeah. Um, and at the time, the whole program was transitioning from uh, academics to uh, a more uh, holistic approach for people with multiple uh, disabilities, uh, vision being the least least problem right. of all. Um, so then I went to public high school and, uh, but really didn't get into ACB until MJ Schmidt uh, twisted my arm uh, and made me sell a whole lot of candy for the Rochester Area Council of the Blind. The infamous the MJ Schmidt. Right, well, on the University of Rochester campus. We will talk some more about her. Oh, but yeah, we can't. Oh, totally. Go ahead. <laughs> let's, um, let's go back for a second. Mm-hmm. If, if Batavia wasn't all that great, why did you go? Well, I think my parents wanted me to interact some more with blind kids. Um, and I was a day student at the time. I, didn't, I, I stayed there for a little while, but that didn't work out for me at all. Um, but I think that was part of it. Um, and I think they also knew that, uh, you know, I wasn't using a cane until about eighth grade or ninth grade that, uh, at the time it wouldn't have the intensity of O&M instructions and stuff anywhere else. Um, and so that's, that's how that happened. 
do you feel like um, being at Batavia got you more socialization than you were getting from mainstream school? Well, with blind people anyway. Uh, and you know, I, I had been in mainstream school uh, with its ups and downs, you know, since the very beginning, uh, starting in kindergarten. But uh, it was a different, you know, a different game entirely in terms of the, the level of intensity on the blindness skills, like O&M, for example, that I was exposed to. And it was, it was kind of nice, kind of like having all my peers there. Um, and I wasn't anybody particularly special, um, except they kicked me out of the chorus because I couldn't sing. Yeah. And uh, they kicked me out of the orchestra because I couldn't play. So I didn't have the, the music gene for sure. And uh, fortunately, my fragile ego didn't get totally uh, uh, destroyed as a result of that. I decided it was okay and I, I could do other things. But yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I ever got got to play or yeah. sing very much. No, uh, fortunately, either. I know people who are good at it. Yes. Oh, and and appreciate it very very much, but. It wasn't me. That's. I used to be able to sort of sing until this disease came along, but now, um, essentially, singing singing is something that is in my past. Ah, okay. Well, you still have good pipes for radio. How did you get into radio? I, no, I'm not supposed to ask the questions. I was really or sorry you, about you that. can. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've been in radio for a long time. I actually did um, a bunch of work for the Catholic Church in Trinidad. In the 1970s, I used to do two shows a week, one where I would play two folk songs and write a sermon, and the other where I'd interview Catholic bigwigs. Wow. But it was fun. I can imagine. Wow. Wow. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, It would be fun. And the people you met and all all that stuff. Well, they, they were good. And of course, a lot of them were Irish because... You know, the, the Irish folks went to Trinidad a lot. Uh-huh. So that was lovely. Uh-huh. Um, so college, did you go straight from high school into college? And which one? Yes. Uh, before my candy experience? Yes. Uh, yes, I, I, I went directly from uh, high school uh, into college. Although at the time, New York State had a pre-college orientation program at uh, the at Syracuse University um, mm-hmm. or a one summer school course um, in which we were you know uh, given very intense uh, training in how to take notes and how to survive campus and you know uh, I, you know I figured out what what happened at bars and all that sort of stuff too that's um, a good thing that was a that was a good thing. Um, learned how to play chess and a few other things, but yeah, it was a it was a great experience. They don't do it anymore. I think that's real sad um, because it gave us time to, you know, get sort of spruce up the skills before it really mattered. And, and, and it also got gave you a chance to to get to know some of the kids who were going to be on campus with you. Well, as it turned out, I wasn't going to the University of Syracuse. I went to the University of Rochester. Uh, so I, it ended up, I didn't really, you know, didn't know any kids from that campus, uh, except for that, that summer, uh, essentially. 
So you were essentially on your own at Rochester. Uh, well, yeah, sort of. But I, you know, I had I, I made some close friends pretty quickly, um, and it was you know uh, the summer of '69, and uh, you know we were going to land on the moon, and that was sure. happening during my summer orientation period at the U of R, and um, my best friend. Well, turned out to be my best friend uh, in college, um, who is now uh, a dean at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, um, went in and uh, we were going to get some food from the, the cafeteria. And uh, I had known Gary all of about five minutes. And um, the cafeteria worker um, you know, turned to Gary as we were sliding the trays down the rail and says, what does it want? Exactly. Referring to me. And uh, he turned around um, and spontaneously started talking to me in gibberish. Now, remember, this is a guy I'd known for five yes. minutes. And then he turns around and says to her, well, why don't you ask him? Because I don't know what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so anyway, it's that's funny. Started. I used that's I did started. exactly the same thing at college. Um, if if somebody asked me what I wanted, I would generally do do gibberish. <laughs> and and there was also this this horrid thing where where um, people would essentially do nothing but talk to the other person, oh, and yeah. then the only the only option really that you have is is to create really interesting things i remember i remember when when i had um was had started to work and i went in to buy a used car and ah. the guy the guy says you know man you can't buy no used car because you're blind <laughs> you can't drive you can't you you don't have no money what you what you're doing with me so yeah. I so, had the same experience when I wanted to buy my my uh, my my folks a camera, and and the the guy at uh, well, at the time it was Kmart, which was kind of a big box store before mm -hmm. before Walmart and those kind of places, uh, just said, "Well, you can't buy a camera." You're, same idea, <laughs> same yep. idea. Uh, we've all been there, haven't we? We have, and, or another. Yeah. And eventually, and eventually, I got a brand new car, and I drove it down to to that lot, or I had my wife drive it down to oh, that lot. And I stood outside and honked my horn. Bit. Yeah. Well, good. For about five minutes straight, and stuck out my tongue. Good. Yes. Good. It it was yeah. very pleasant. Yeah. 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 Revenge I enjoyed it. Really sweet once in a while. Yeah. You know, you, you try not to do it, but you know, oh, it does it 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 sometimes works. Remind me to tell you before the evening's out about my uh, rehab counselor and, and our relationship and uh, how that uh, sort of influenced me about my later life too. Um, we will. So so let's talk for a minute about yes. MJ. She, MJ, yes, yes. She yes. encouraged you to get involved in the Rochester chapter. Oh, in a big time way. She was my adopted mother in Rochester. And absolutely, she was my chaperone um, to my, at my first ACB convention in, in uh, uh, I believe it was Oklahoma 70 in 1970. Oklahoma 70. 
And I, uh, you know, I could never say no to MJ. Um, <laughs> it's and, very uh, hard to do that. It was very hard to do that. And, uh, and I <clears throat> and MJ had some bizarre ideas about what you wanted to do, too. Yeah, sometimes. Um, sometimes. She um, she she had a notion of, of the of the way that ACB should be run. And she was bound and determined if she could manage it, that it was going to be run that way. Yeah, she was, um, she was a trip. Um, I remember in 1987 or 88, I can't remember which, um, Derwood McDaniel had decided to run for first vice president. Mm -hmm. and, and he had made a, a deal apparently with the board that he wasn't going to do that um, because the idea was he shouldn't be in a place where he could, if, if somebody were to, were to die, he would suddenly be promoted to president. So uh, what MJ did was she, she got five or six or seven or eight people to run. I can't even remember how many for the first vice president. And um, what was, what was bizarre is um, she got what she wanted. He didn't, he didn't win. Um, I did. And, and I think, and I think the last thing in the world that she expected was for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard the backstory of how he became president of ACV. That's interesting. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was interesting. So <clears throat> MJ was, was one of the few, um, charter members of ACB. Yes. Um, and so she had been a member essentially since 1961, um, which is uh, which is pretty amazing. Truly, and, an amazing woman too, in her own right. I mean, uh, yes, you know, reinvented herself uh, from a secretary to a computer programmer in order to support her uh, family as a single mother. Uh, I, after her husband died, and you know, just remarkable in so many ways. No question. And moved from Buffalo to Chicago. Right. And worked in this huge building, the, the Sears Chica Tower. Right. They don't call it that anymore, I don't think. They, it's, it's, I don't there's think a new do. name for new name for it, corporate branding, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But she was an interesting person. <laughs> she was a force in Rochester, no question that and around the country. Uh, right. for sure. Um uh, I think as she got older, it became harder for her. I think, oh, yeah. I think towards the end of her life, um, there, there weren't a lot of people um, who could even find MJ for the last couple of years of her life. I know I could. Yeah, yeah I know. And, 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 and I worked at it, too. I mean, yeah. I wanted to find her, um, know. you know, even though, <clears throat> even though the, we had this amazing love-hate relationship. I mean, MJ went through much of her ACB period <clears throat> thinking I was the devil. That's good. That was fine. Um, but um, I, I still wanted to try to keep in touch with her at the end mm -hmm. um, just because nobody likes to be alone. And she had moved into um, some kind of a rehab facility and, and I just couldn't get hold of her. And she'd actually moved to Florida and, um, I, I could never find out exactly where she was. Hmm. So sad. Yes. All right. Very. 
Very sad. So but the candy sales were excellent. I want you to know. I um, and and um, uh, I guess that's what got me involved to some extent in the candy business. Uh, I never was a vendor, but my good friend um, Chet Smalley had a facility at the Roswell Park Hospital in in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and um, he had to be open. 365 days a year. Um, they wouldn't let let uh, let him sell cigarettes, which is a big profit thing, understandably, uh, for a, for somebody in that business. I, I did all of his legal work, mm-hmm. um, and the name of his his uh, his shop was Read All About It, and uh, it was uh, it was pretty cool. And I just talked to him the other day, so he. Well, that uh, is so excellent. Yep. No doubt about it. He was one of my first non-paying clients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I, um, Which is all right. You know, that's what you do for friends. When, when I was in university, I used to sell, oh, gosh, I probably shouldn't say this. I used to sell American cigarettes. I used to buy ah. them from the Navy and oh, then sell them okay. all over campus. Them. Okay. Perfect, perfectly illegal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but nevertheless, it's, it's how I survived at, at university sure. in terms of making extra money because yeah. I had a, a scholarship at university. I was lucky enough to have one of those, but it didn't. Didn't cover it, food, oddly it, enough. Yeah. Well, actually it did. It, oh, it did? Okay. Yeah. But what it, what it didn't cover was, was sort of extra expenses like drinking rum. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And yes, those yes. really important things at of college. Course. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Well. So your first degree at Rochester was in? History and psychology. Nice. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, uh, so I needed to have good grades. That was the bottom line of it all. Um, and I, I, want, you know, I knew math. I still can't do math. Um, uh, it never clicked with me. And uh, so I, 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 I knew I needed to get good grades so I could get into law school. My dad owned a filling station for a while uh, and had a falling out when I was in sixth grade with his business partner. And I was fascinated by what the lawyers were able to do to, to uh, try to try to resolve that situation when there was no partnership agreement and all the rest. Um, but anyway, so that's what kind of got me involved, interested in, in uh, practicing law. Um, and, uh, but uh, that, that took me through the University of Rochester. They didn't have a, a um, law school. And then uh, right after graduation, uh, with a little time out for a kidney stone removal. That, nice. That's really, yeah, better to have the rocks down there than in your head, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the, um, then, I, then I started law school. But, uh, and, one and one thing I have to tell you, though, that's a funny yes. story about undergrad school. And, and had I, I never realized I'd spend most of my life in Washington, D.C., doing advocacy stuff and, and now working for the federal government. But at the time, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to get one of the RFB and D scholarships that was right. presented uh, that year, 1973, at the White House in the diplomatic reception. How cool is that? It was very, very cool by Trish, Trisha Dixon Eisenhower. Um, 
and she's very, very, very personal, very fun. Um, and they served the little cookies and all that. They had these napkins that were embossed with the presidential seal, and I wanted one so bad. And in retrospect, they probably would have given me the napkin if I'd asked them for it, but I was afraid to put it in my pocket for fear that that would bring my legal career down, you know, uh, to nothing. Yep, it would be all over. It would be all over, totally, totally. And if you are a Watergate fan, now I didn't know this at the time, but I was there the very same day that John Dean told Richard Nixon that there was a cancer on the presidency, which ultimately led to his resignation. Nice. So that was and my that... only time I've ever been at a function in the White House. Yeah, was, I, I, I was not one of the people who got invited to the ADA stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I had great fun. Um, in, in 1998, um, I had um, been a part of the, um, the Florida Disability Caucus. I was, mm -hmm. I guess, the chair or vice chair of the Florida Democratic Disability Caucus when Bill Clinton was running. And, and I didn't really get to know Bill very well because he was running around with all the bigwigs. Mm -hmm. But I spent about an hour with Hillary um, wow! When they were down in Florida, mm -hmm. and then once, once, um, once Bill and um, the vice president got elected, they invited a bunch of disabled folks to the White House in 1998, um, and I sat between uh, Bill and Al, which was wow. really pretty cool for about a, a 30 or 40 minute conversation. Wow. That's and, amazing. And, yeah, it was it was great fun. I yeah, really for, enjoyed it. For a policy wonk like you, that was exactly that is it doesn't get any better than that. It does There's not. No question at all. That's for sure. All right. So wow. you, you you have finished the University of Rochester and it's time for law school. And you went yeah. where? I went to Harvard Law School. Um, Jim Crott was a year ahead of me. We weren't close friends at the time, but we have since became such. And um, Otis Stevens was there on a fellowship um, for one of my years there. And uh, had it, it was a, a very interesting time. I, I, I often think that here again, the team things come, come into play because uh, my mother, let me shut up the phone here. I knew this was going to happen. Um, my mother did a lot of recording for me uh, because the Harvard professors didn't use textbooks. They Xerox everything in preparation to publish a textbook. Yes. Or we indeed didn't have time to record anything for the most part. Um, so she did a lot of recording. So did my father. Um, and th that was a great team effort, not to mention the, the readers I had there, one of whom... Um, ended up being a congressman from uh, the Garlic District in California. Just heard. Um, Tom Campbell, uh, who is yep. now uh, a professor at uh, Stanford. And he lost his California uh, Senate uh, race uh, due to the Rodney King affair, which was tragic. It, it, sucked up all it, the, it was. The media. 
and nobody knew him in Southern California where they knew him much more in, in Northern California. But anyway, and he wanted me to work for him uh, at one time. And I, <laughs> I had been working at AFB for a while and it, it just didn't work out, but I uh, always uh, found it interesting. Uh, and that, and he, when I, when I was in law school, I'd say Tom, and this was a guy that uh, was working on his PhD in economics at the same time. Harvard uh-huh. Law Review had uh, clerked for Justice uh, Stewart, Supreme Court. Nice. He had his, his ticket to fame and fortune. So uh, I, I'd say to him, Tom, we don't need to read anything. Just talk to me about X, Y, Z. And uh, I, I knew I was never going to be the lawyer that was going to distinguish footnote five from footnote six. Right. I wasn't smart enough. Number one, I did well in, in, in law school, but I, you know, I, it, it wasn't going to happen. And in <clears> fact, <throat> I almost quit uh, second year thinking I couldn't possibly uh, do this kind of stuff for a living. Um, and then happened to work for a law firm that ultimately hired me full time eventually. And I worked for them for 200 bucks a week for a summer um yeah it's 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 amazing yeah you you, you know we are prepared to work for damn near nothing well that was going great (laughs) i had to pay my room out of it yeah primarily we're doing it though yeah as much to convince ourselves that we can do it right as 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 because it's the going rate right exactly i i I know the first year that i taught school in trinidad Mm -hmm. i worked for this little tiny um, high school way out in the country wow. that was for people who had failed um, mm. their O levels or their mm-hmm. their exams, and so they were they were going back or and failed their eleven pluses as well. So they were they were essentially um, trying to find their way to post secondary education through the back door. And um, I, I spent a year just convincing myself that I could teach. And then I, I think I was making about a hundred bucks a month. Wow. Um, and, but, but once I had done that, once, once I knew I could do it, then I got really assertive and I said, Hey, you know, I, at, at that point I had a, uh, a bachelor's degree in special honors history and a I'm master's more than 100 bucks yeah yeah i get it i and, get it and a master's degree in in international relations from the institute of international relations in geneva and so i was saying to schools in trinidad then there is nobody in on this island who has more qualifications than i so you're going to damn well hire me good for you good and for they you. did and, and does that mean we're gonna have to call you the 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 uh Fareed Zakara of ACB Radio rather than uh, Johnny Carson? Yeah, is it? at the very least. Oh, okay. I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good company, too. So is there, is, is there something special about Harvard Law? Uh, I can't. Well, it was like $10,000 plus yes. when I was there. Uh, that was tuition, room, and board, and books, and uh, I still ran up a, a sizable student loan. <laughs> um, but 
I, I, they were willing to take a chance, I think, maybe more than other places. Um, at the time, uh, the LSAT people wouldn't let a blind person take the LSATs. No, they would not. And um, so I, I had to talk my way through that and all that. So, but I, I think they're willing to take a chance. And there are a number of people that, uh, that, that uh, graduated from there. And I mean, uh, with, uh, a whole lot more challenges than I could ever think of having. I'm thinking about uh, Haben uh, Grima, for example. Yes. Yes. Line woman that graduated uh, several years ago. Um, But yeah, otherwise I think it helped me get my first job. There's no question about that. Uh, Because I, you know, had all these interviews and nobody wanted to hire me. Uh, But I went back to Buffalo the one year, the Buffalo, uh, large firm there, well-regarded firm, um, decided that they weren't going to send anybody to Harvard uh, that year. And so I came to them essentially. So I wasn't competing with all the other Harvard students. Um, and that actually got me my, my summer gig um, and then ultimately my, my full-time job uh, after, after graduation. And uh, I paid for my reading expenses and all that stuff out of my salary for three years. I was um, living at home and could do that until right. they came to me and said, you're making enough money for us that you don't have to do that anymore. But I got thinking about the fact that I really didn't uh, care much about whether the insurance companies we represented, it was insurance defense litigation mm-hmm. firm, paid claims or not. I mean, most insurance right. companies are not in the business of paying anything out. That's if they not can their, help it. That, that's, yeah. Yeah, if they can help it. I, I, exactly. So uh, there came a day when uh, Otis Stevens approached me about applying for Durwood McDaniel's job when uh, he retired from ACB. And boy, um, I did. And ultimately they, they gave the job to Oral and then asked me whether I would be interested in the governmental affairs job. Right. And um, a little background, I'd always been a policy wonk, you know, I before the days of the internet and so forth, it's so much easier now in terms of access to information, of course. I was always, you know, a political junkie. You know, I grew up with, with NPR um, and, uh, you know, public TV and all, all the rest. Um, and uh, it, as it so happened, I... Uh, did not know what was happening in Washington in the seventies and ACB's right, role. Right. In it. Uh, <laughs> like like the, the Rehab Act of seventy three, the regulation right. under Section five hundred four. I thought five hundred four was a sweet number in my office building. I knew exactly. nothing about it. Right. Nothing. I'm embarrassed to say. And um, but yet, you know, uh, I know you know this, but uh, some of your listeners may not that the department, the then Department of Health and Education and Welfare was supposed to issue uh, the regulations on our civil rights statute 
the only civil rights statute that we had is people with disabilities, mm -hmm. part of Title VII, the Civil Rights Act of 64, or anything like that. Um, and that's another story. But um, anyway, there were people like Eunice Fiorino here in Washington, um, a CB member who led the sit-in at um, HEW, which led to their finally issuing the uh, the regulations under Section 504. And, and then there was the New Yorker who went all over the country, Don Avino then. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. Doing trainings and all that stuff. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. yep. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that a lot of people know how hard ACB worked um, to try to educate our folks about how important and how cool, um, at least potentially, Section 504 was. Yes. And back at that time, there was there was some federal money for training. There was. And that dried up. But ACB continued to educate and uh, on that topic. And ultimately, uh, that in part led to the leadership seminars that were started in the early 80s and the legislative seminar, which and now they've been combined, as you know, to our annual leadership training uh, uh, in February. Um, but um, uh, I've got a story about our legislative, an early legislative uh, uh, seminar that I need to tell Let's you. Let's go, and then I'm going to too. talk to you about something a little controversial and see if you want to talk about it. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. Go for the controversy. I, I, I the, the, the story I'm going to tell you is just kind of funny, but go ahead. What did you want to ask one, me? one of the interesting things that began to happen uh, in the early 1980s and really went on until probably 84 or 85 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was the creation of an organization called the Affiliated Leadership League. Oh, I know it well. Yep. Um, what What was your thought about um, about that organization and what it did? Uh, in my personal opinion, I yes. thought it was a uh, an organization that was ultimately designed to try to dig up uh, controversy uh, and to uh, try to differentiate uh, ACB from NFB. Right. Um, yep, I and agree. I, I don't think they accomplished much um a couple of their well the first executive director died in office right. I, i'm sure that was a total coincidence and then i uh, um but i i really did not uh have a great regard for uh, all the concept was good but the implementation in my view was bad yeah. uh, and <clears throat> Obviously, that was not prevailing. Right. And, uh, and part, of, part of the trouble was that, that the membership of ACB had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, a, it was a decision that was made for the most part by the board and by the leadership yeah. of, um, of yeah. ACB. And, and I guess the, the, the most protracted leader was John McCann, of all people. Yeah, he was the, the one that, that that lasted the longest, I guess. Yes. In that thing. But, um, yep. I was also involved, talking about another controversial group, what my first blindness group that I got involved in um, beyond ACB was NAC. 
and I was on the commission for a few years, uh, the accreditation commission, and uh, that's where I met Carl Augusto, who was mm -hmm. staff at that time, who ultimately became the executive director of AFB. And I would ultimately, years later, work for him uh, and ran the office uh, here in Washington for AFB. But um, interesting how all that evolved. But uh, my, my legislative seminar story. Yes. Uh, the, um, it, uh, these were always great things. I mean, I, I, I always enjoyed um, helping people figure out the process. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a different time, different lobbying time than, than, than now in so it, many different it was. ways. Uh, people were willing to govern on both sides of the aisle mm -hmm. and we could get things done um, more easily and all the rest. But anyway, it still took training and, 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 you know, assisting people to know how to frame the message and all the rest and, and actually have the experience of lobbying. But, uh, and in organizing the, I think this is the first or second legislative seminar that we had, um, I wanted to get a, a recognizable speaker um, that people would be able to relate to. And I told you earlier that I was an NPR junkie. So I grew up with the founding mothers of NPR, Cokie Roberts and right. uh, you know, Susan Stanberg and, uh, and others. Um, and so I got the idea, well, why don't I see if I can get Cokie Roberts to keynote this? And um, of course, she wasn't nearly as famous then as she was later on in her career. So I called her up and I said, Miss Roberts, this is who I am and uh, you know who I represent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we would love to have you speak at our legislative event. And she'd, she said, oh, I'm sorry, there's absolutely no way that I can do that. And I said, well, I'm so sorry to hear that. But, and I know that your speaking fees are much more than we could possibly ever afford. Um, but I do have $150 that I could offer you as, a, as an honorarium. And she paused for what seemed like an eternity. Mm -hmm. And then she said to me, oh, that's camp money for the kids. <laughs> there, there you go. It's great. She, 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 she really was, uh, was well-received. It worked out real well. And um, that's my Cokie Roberts story. Uh, and what that taught me in part, uh, and getting back to the themes of, I guess, themes of my life, if I could be that crazy to even think of it that way, in addition to the teens was, and, and I guess salespeople, um, you know, that are educated in sales will tell you this, that, that you've got to ask for the sale. Yeah, and I, learned, <clears throat> I think I you do. From my, my uh, Cokie Roberts experience, that even when you think the, the, the chips are down and you're never going to get it, you still ask because you might very well get it. Mm -hmm. You never, 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 never know. And this so, happened recently. I was, I was working with uh, the Phil Donahue of ACB Radio, which is Anthony uh, Corona, you know, that other guy there you that, go. that does uh, Sunday right. edition. Sunday edition, uh, right. And, all that. And, uh, and the Pride Connection, all that. 
anyway, we were we were working on on speakers for the uh, for the mid year convention, and uh, we got this guy who had done a series of podcasts on gay history. Nice. And uh, he had he had recorded all these interviews with with luminaries in the field, including, by the way, including Abigail Van Buren. How cool was that? A dear Abby. Yep. Who in 1955 had 110 million readers worldwide, and was very pro um, uh, in in favor of people loving whomever they wanted to love, and was very vocal and took a lot of blowback from it, um, but she didn't care. She didn't have to worry about it, given her position in, as a, an opinion columnist. I had no idea that she was that supportive. Um, and I, I never read her column because most people, well, our, our family had, there were two papers in Buffalo. We subscribed to one of them. And the one we subscribed to was the morning paper that that had her sister's competing column. And there were two, yeah, Ann Landers. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so, so there you go. Anyway, and, and getting back to the ask question, and I say all this because of the ask, this guy, Marcus charges $3,000 for a presentation. Oh my goodness. where Where he puts together these clips of, of people that he interviewed. And by the way, he's going to be doing another session in the next, uh, in July starting nice. a new, new series on the history of AIDS. Nice. I'm sure it's going to be fascinating. Well, anyway, he, he donated his time and, 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 and uh, was absolutely terrific. But again, um, our, our great closer, uh, Phil Donahue, uh, you know, got that, nailed that uh, engagement down. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if you don't ask, you'll never, you'll never get it. You'll never, never yep. get it. And so in, in the 1980s, ACB was, uh, I think, a very different organization than it is now. What would yes. you say were the characteristics of ACB in the 1980s? Well, it, it was, uh, it had a, a, a much more diverse uh, a, a great number more of, of, of the thrift stores yes. to help uh, finance its operations. And that was really the, the lion's share of the revenue. Um, and yes, we, there was a consultant or a management company that was paid to run the stores and then ultimately ACB decided they were going to run them themselves. Um, it was it was a good time in that we had money and then we didn't have money. <laughs> I had a time when when our travel reimbursements and I was traveling uh, sometimes fifteen days a month. Yep. Yep. To to uh, conve- uh, you know state conventions and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know I was a cheap speaker uh, <laughs> and all that, uh, but. There was a time I remember that, that our our uh, travel reimbursements were delayed by three weeks or something like that because we didn't have the money to pay it. And and, and then they eventually just just went away. Yeah. Um. What about the? 
What about the size of ACB in the 80s? Was it more manageable, do you think, or has, has it actually, is it actually better that it's bigger? I don't know about size, but I think the most amazing, game-changing thing that has happened is the whole idea of the ACB community calls and how that has brought people together, how, uh, you know, the virtual, even the virtual convention that, you know, was a necessity this past year and, and this July, uh, brought together and brought out a lot more people to come to conventions than ever before. Um, and the whole idea of being able to find community uh, mm -hmm. much more easily uh, than, than you could previously, uh, even with the internet, uh, having, you know, a, a weekly schedule that spans any number of topics. I was talking to a right. highly successful um, blind lawyer um, just the other day and, and uh, she, she knew kind of of the community calls but didn't know the details and I sent her details and said you know you're really missing out on, on a lot of stuff mm -hmm. it's a smorgasbord. report you may not like it all but there's going to be something here that you're going to find of interest and just being able to reach out and, 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 and get that kind of community response and support and knowledge and information is uh, truly a game changer. And, and I, we didn't have the tools to do it in the 80s. Um, so I, 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 I think that's one big difference that I see from what we were doing back then and what, what, what we can do today. One of the things that happened in the 1980s was we actually uh, invited a number of chapters of the National Federation of the Blind to join ACB. Mm -hmm. um, what impact do you think that had? Well, I, I, I have, I feel that 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 was a good thing in in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but when it meant that it split an affiliate like it did in, in Virginia, that that was not such a good thing. Um, it's sort of in, in Virginia and California and in yeah. Washington, at least for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think that was a, a real constructive, constructive move, but I, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I am always the hopeful guy. I've always been a, you know, half full kind of a glass guy rather than a half empty. And uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm always hopeful that there could be more communication and, and, and cross fertilization between the groups. I, you know, I, I think it's probably healthy to have more than one blindness organization. Oh, I think so. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, other communities have, you know, uh, multiple organizations. Obviously, we're a very small minority within a minority, but uh, nevertheless, I'm 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 uh, hopeful that uh, when some of us old farts die off, <laughs> and I'm going to be seventy in June, I hasten to add, um, maybe um, uh, maybe if there is still bad blood, that some of that can dissipate. I <clears throat> I hope so. I think it would be good.
one of the okay. consequences, one of the consequences of um, of NFB joining, I think, was that um, it became virtually impossible to support and extend NAC through ACB, which was a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, NAC was a it was a good thing. I I, I believed in it, and it was a very very difficult. And, and I think you're right. Um, uh, the the optics weren't right. Uh, no. And and it 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 ultimately failed. Um, it did. But I I think there still needs to be some kind of accountability. Um, and we certainly can use that. Um, you know I've. Quality services have got to be there when you need them, when you're vulnerable, when yes. you, you, you're you not a good dad. This brings me to another story, and then I'll get back to the quality mm-hmm. services thing. But when you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you're personally involved, at least it's true for me, you can't be objective. When I was no. practicing law, I wanted to get, uh, we represented a bank. Uh, the law firm's offices were in a big, were in a large office building downtown Buffalo. And we represented a national bank. Um, and uh, I wanted to, I got my checking account there, my first ever checking account there. And, and I wanted to rent a safe deposit box. And the branch manager, the branch manager, his name was Fox, wouldn't rent me a safe deposit box because I was blind. And I freaked out, went up to my boss and said, Gene, what am I going to do? You know, I, I, I totally, totally, totally melted down, you know, to one of the partners of the law firm. And he said, Scott, shut up, settle down. Just think about this. Do you think the bank knows what goes into and out of a safe deposit box when it's in the clipping room with a customer? Of course they don't know what goes into or is taken out of a box. Go down and tell Foxy, that's what he called the branch manager. It was Mr. Fox to me, that if he doesn't want to, to rent you a safe deposit box, he needs to talk to me. And I ultimately got my safe deposit box. But it also showed me that when you're personally involved, your, your um, objectivity can go to hell. And you need somebody to kind of uh, uh, help you along the way and give you some direction. Um, And that certainly, again, was another influencing factor, I think, in why I spent, you know, half of my career in the advocacy field. Uh, Because, uh, you know, people, uh, and, and I'd get numerous calls at ACB and when I worked at AFB from people that needed some level of direction about getting mm-hmm. services and so forth. My, um, my uh, ENT doctor even one time, <laughs> once he found out where I worked and all that, the, the, the majority of the time in the, in the, when the office call was, was talking to him about his older mother in Philadelphia and how she could get plugged in for uh, services for somebody with Mac Jen. Mm-hmm. And, I was hoping that he'd send a contribution, but he never did. Uh, but it, it's it's that kind of thing. You, people need uh, some information, and they need some 
some guidance about where to go um, in, in order to make it successful. And that's another thing that we can do so terribly well and is, a, is also another function of this Teams thing that I'm talking about. So ACB um, was not noted for its high rate of pay for its employees. Yeah. Um, and um, so you eventually got to the place where you left ACB and went to AFB. Was that largely a monetary decision? Oh, no, no, there's a, there a jump in there. I went to AARP and, and supervised a team. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Consumer lobbyists. And that was a financial decision um, for sure. But it was also a, a great learning environment too. I mean, I was, I was in a different a different way of playing the game. I mean, we would go in and uh, brag about how many members we'd have in each, you know, members district. I mean, we had analytics out the wazoo before analytics was a buzzword and everybody has data these days. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it taught me a lot. Um, it taught me a lot about uh, how policy in an organization gets developed. Um, and of course, part of AARP's challenge was that it represented so many different people. It sometimes had to take positions that were, were fairly neutral in order to get them adopted. Um, right. And of course, some would argue uh, with some, and I think this is true, uh, they got themselves wound up the wrong way with the insurance industry. Um, right. And, and, uh, were perceived by some as, as too much in, in, in the business of selling insurance and, and other products that, it, that, that they lent their name to. Um, I remember too, and this was, and, but I, I think they're doing better now. And I, I remember too, back in the early eighties that uh, a conversation with Cy Brickfield, who was the executive director at the time, mm -hmm. There were words that, and modern maturity was the next to the Reader's Digest at the time, I think, was right. the highest circulating magazine in the United States. And there were words that you could not use in modern maturity, and they were all disability related words. Right. Um, they did not want to portray uh, anybody who was older as being at all um, disabled, infirm, frail, whatever, you, you know, how, however you want to describe it. And that was part of their, that was part of their marketing uh, campaign. Um, now, do I you think, think you, yes. Do you, th do you think you were able to persuade them to take disability more seriously while you were there? Yes, to some extent, yes. It, it, it's gotten much better. I remember, uh, uh, they did have a minority affairs initiative mm -hmm. and uh, a friend of mine and I went down and talked to them one time uh, and said, look, you know, uh, uh, he was gay. I wasn't even out at the time. Um, you know, you've got other constituencies that, that really need, uh, you know, a seat at the table. And I mm -hmm. think they've done better since then. Uh, it was difficult though. I mean, I, I was the first person, uh, I shouldn't say it. This is, this is not supposed to be about me, but but I I hired the first African American guy they ever had in in policy in legislative affairs. 
Nice. Still there. And I, and um, I hired him because he was staff director of one of the one of the committees that uh, that dealt with uh, the uh, Javits White Notre Day Act program, and that uh, and uh, uh, so that's how I had originally gotten to know him. And uh, Larry was on my team, which was the consumer team that did everything uh, other than income security and healthcare, which were their top issues, of course. But he, yeah, I I had. As as kind of resolutions committee chair, I was this 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 big anti AARP person. I used to try to pass resolutions every year. Yeah. Um, didn't succeed in doing that anyway. But yeah. but yeah. I, I you know I always felt like AARP had a had a responsibility to folks with disabilities that that they certainly in the eighties were 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 not were not maintaining. Right. Well, you know. These things do evolve, as you well know. You know yes, that's, that's part of it too. Um, and uh, it and it's it's interesting how policy can change over time too, um, and sometimes more rapidly than we can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it, uh, you know, again, it's uh, it's an interesting player. Um, uh, and uh, I'm sure they'll remain. So there's other, lots of other aging-related organizations today, though, of course, as well. Uh, in addition to AARP. Now, in in the '80s, um, there were organizations like NIB and mm -hmm. AFB mm -hmm. um, who were working pretty closely with ACB, right? And and who were, at least to a degree. Um, perceived certainly by the NFB as as being essentially uh, organizations that that we supported because there were good old boys who would who would get whatever they wanted and, and there didn't need to be um, there didn't need to be any real um, commitment to to change in in either organization. Um, I, I have a story to go with that. Go. <laughs> you're right. Um, you're right. One of my proudest moments uh, about ACB and my involvement with ACB was that we had a resolution, and maybe you remember it, Paul. I, I don't remember exactly what year it was passed that said that anyone that was working in, in, in one of these javits Wagner O'Day Act facilities ought to have a career path to management. Right. Um, and uh, that did not go well, to go over well with the then leadership of NIB. Now, again, yep. this is a different time. Now, I hasten to add here. Um, and... Uh, Oral was out of the country at the time doing something, I can't remember what. And I remember taking that resolution up to guess who? The guy that I hired at AARP eventually, who was the staffer working for Barney Frank, who uh, uh, Leroy and I talked to, that's another story too, uh, <laughs> about all these issues. But anyway, that did not go over well with NIB at all. Um, George Mertz tried to get me fired. 
mm-hmm. um, and ACB didn't fire me. And uh, eventually, you know, it was okay that we were implementing that resolution. And uh, uh, I, uh, I, I learned a lot from that experience too. In 1987 or 1988, we took that resolution a little bit forward uh, further and essentially said that um, anybody who is uh, a part of the JWOD and is only blind mm-hmm. must be paid the minimum wage. Right, right. That, that was the next step. Yep, yep. Right. Yep. And, you know, I was very proud of that because, um, again, um, NIV didn't want to do it. And what I, what I persuaded them to do was to come to our resolutions committee and sit down with us and work out the wording. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, that was, that was exciting because I think it made a huge difference. I don't think, uh, I don't think in the long run, um, the resolution accomplished as much as it could have because the NFB was, was, was eager to go further in the other direction. And, and we're bound and determined they were going to do that, even though they didn't need to. At least in my opinion. Yeah. They didn't need to. So the Americans with Disabilities Act. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was, what was your involvement with that? Oh, do you want to? Well, in my, if I write my memoir, joke, joke, joke. I'm going to do what everybody else says. I was there. I did it. It was all made on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, it was um, it was a tough time, um, and we did not uh, foresee a lot that, in terms of the internet, and right. looking back at it, what I would have liked or should have thought of. Um, and at the time, uh, it was Kathy McGivern and myself, for the most part, uh, that were mm-hmm. working on the uh, on the day-to-day stuff. And Kathy, at, at that time. point, worked for AER, the That's Association correct. That's correct. for the correct. Education and Rehabilitation and, of the Blind and, and Visually Impaired. And I think ACB didn't have a governmental relations person for a while. I don't think they did. Period of time. And that's how that happened. Well, and and, um, and, and we didn't have we didn't have a major commitment to the ADA either. I mean, we just didn't, um, at least in my opinion. Uh, Well, and and we tried to get uh, the staff to be more um, engaged on things like Braille and and, uh, making it clearer that not only in in the public context, but that in the private, uh, context that uh, people's preference for uh, the method of accommodation should be honored, um, which again didn't go anywhere. But there, uh, there are there are lots of people who have said, who said at the time, and who've said since that the group that probably got the least out of the ADA were people who are blind. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I think that's true. Um, I think that's true. Um, I uh, 
I, you know, I, 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 after the ADA passed, um, I uh, co-directed a, a grant uh, with Gallaudet University that came from the Department of Justice, one of the first mm-hmm. 20 uh, ADA technical assistance grants. And we did a, uh, an information hotline uh, for people who are blind um, that, you know, remember my colleague, um, Barbara Lemoyne helped me with. And I do remember Barbara well. Barbara and, and uh, uh, we wrote these uh, checklists um, for healthcare providers uh, and for the hospitality industry and all that. Oh, stuff. A lot of those checklists were really good. They just that never got distributed very well. Yeah, that, that's true. I think they're still on the AFB site, but I, yep. they, the, the DOJ didn't do much with them. Um, nope. Although uh, it's, it's funny though, I've, I, 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 oh, about a year ago, I ran into somebody who overheard me talking to somebody about this very topic. And uh, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, oh, by the way, uh, you're Scott Marshall. And I said, yeah. And uh, I said, he said, I've actually used your, some of your material in my training for sign language interpreters. I said, what? <laughs> so I, I don't cool know. Was that? Uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't, who knows? But, um, but yeah, uh, that there was a huge education thing uh, that that has that still needs to happen there, and and the I think the potential of the ADA hasn't really gone as far. I think people would agree as we would all have liked it to. Um, so there there have been a lot of debates over the past five or ten years as to whether whether we 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 want the government to write some regulations oh yeah um or or whether we we need to go into the ada and reopen it and and add some components yeah that will that will give folks who are blind or visually impaired more rights do you have a thought as to which of those two directions makes well, the most sense i people are much closer to this action than i am uh people like mark reichert uh mm-hmm. Well, I had the good sense of hiring um, once he graduated from law school and um, uh, have known him for many, many years and, and others um, who were involved with the amendments in, in 2010 uh, and all that kind of stuff. And we're concerned that the Obama administration did not uh, uh, adopt the regulations that were proposed. Um, and it's it's a catch twenty two. Um, it's almost like the hundred days of an administration. It seems to me, you've got to do that, and while the iron is hot, so to speak, while you've got the political capital and support to do it, and if you miss that, then you're in trouble. Um, and I think that's what happened uh, with the regulations. Um, and I think that that. Um, it, it, it is difficult to say, hey, open up the statute. That's, that's always a risk, especially in this environment. Um, and I, I'm not so sure we could have ever gotten the, the ADA passed today. Um, I think that's right. And so that's something you have to be careful about. Um, 
but I, I defer to people now that have been much closer to the action. Um, you know, Mark and Eric and, and, and you know, everybody uh, in terms of the current state of play on that to really be able to make an intelligent comment about what to do about it. I, I guess I'm on the side that says that we ought that we ought to look at at uh, trying to persuade them to to pass and implement regulations because I think it's it's far less dangerous and probably I, I would agree with that and probably agree. far more useful as well. Yeah. In 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 my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So. And we'll, I don't we'll, know, um, you know, Obama had an ADA, I mean, a, a, a disability policy advisor first term, then he sort of disappeared. Yep. Uh, who knows what that was all about? Um, he, he did. I don't know what, I don't know what Biden has done in this area. If anything, I haven't heard of anything. Uh, he had being, a disability he, platform, but yeah. it, it, it didn't, it didn't include very much for it folks was very who were broadly. Blind. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not sure, and I'm not sure there's a lot of commitment at the moment to little tiny things like disability policy, given yeah. the other things he's trying to do now. Well, that's, that's part of it. Um, and that's something I had to learn to and, 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 and be cognizant of, uh, uh, is, is the bigger picture and how you fit in the bigger picture. And, uh, you know, uh, is the, uh, you know, is the, is the juice going to be worth the squeeze, if you will. Uh, and you have to figure out what's most important um, and what's going to help the most, the greatest number of people. Uh, and, and as you know, um, I, I am probably on the, on, on the side in ACB where, where I think we need to be proactive and pretty pushy. With, with regard to um, ADA reform. Um, I'm not sure I think we should open the act, yeah. but I sure as heck think we ought to, we ought to be far more pushy uh, about, uh, about saying to the Department of Justice, look, you guys have already published a bunch of documents right. that make it clear how you actually feel. So turn these documents into rules and, right. and Let's begin to implement them, so that so that folks with disabilities can actually begin to have some leverage in doing what's probably the most right. important thing for folks with disabilities, and that is getting appropriate and realistic access to the internet, which which yeah. we flat out don't have now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. and uh, I agree. I again, I defer to guys like you and and Mark and uh, Eric and others. Uh, to, who are closer to that action right now to help uh, figure out what the right approach would be. Um, I agree with you. It's, it's something that needs to be done. Um, as with so many things, the, the devil is in the detail. It is. In term, terms of how you handle it. So, Mr. Rick, we are going to, um, after this last question, open it up and see if there are some folks with raised hands. So Great. if folks terrific, would, I would deny like... it categorically. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yeah, <laughs> I so didn't I... do it really. Yeah, yeah we've we've got uh, Phil Donahue's here. If you want to talk to oh, Phil, oh really, Phil, how are you, man? 
<laughs> Hello. There he is. Hello. There's Phil. <laughs> I'm Mr. Anthony Corona. I don't wear glasses, and I'm not married to a beautiful Marlo Thomas. So you cannot call me Mr. Phil Donahue. Oh, but you're married to a beautiful person. Well, that's just, it's, it's the same thing, really. Yeah. Come on, come on. Absolutely. Come on. And you guys are two of my very favorite people. Absolutely. Well, we've but been having a good couch conversation. We have. You, you have been having an excellent conversation. And I'm about to, I'm about to saddle up the white elephant in the middle of the room and ask you something pretty, pretty darn brazen. Okay. Go for it. I'm wondering what you guys think over the last year, there have been a lot of social justice conversations um, around the globe, most especially in this country and, and even within our own beautiful ACB. And you both were very um, staunch, you know, advocates for B flag, which became BPI back in the day. And I'm wondering, do you think that ACB represents at this point the diversity that we need to represent to be able to move forward for all the members of our community? And if not, what can we do to make that diversity reflect in the organization that, that we love? Mr. Scott. Hmm. Well, um, I certainly, we 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 never can be too diverse. Uh, diversity is strength. There's I think no that's right about that, and 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 we should do everything we can to try to to enhance that. I mean, I know uh, BPI um, is working on a humility cultural humility statement that it's going to put in its bylaws, um, and would hope that others would perhaps adopt. Um, uh, to make it clear uh, uh, the commitment to diversity and uh, how we go about that, how we implement it is another conversation, I think, in terms of how do you reach out to those communities. I'm delighted you're having a discussion tonight at 10 o'clock on uh, the uh, Asian American Pacific Islanders uh, related issues tonight. I will probably listen to it on the replay, but um, not probably. I know I will, but um, I, um, I I think those kinds of things have to happen. Um, how exactly? I think that's something we need to have a, a longer conversation about in terms right. of how to implement it. What do you think? May I follow up, Paul? You sure. You may. Do, do you think it's our job as an organization, and I mean ACB, the parent organization, to enfold discussions like the API, Asian Pacific Islander, and the Black Lives Matter? Is it our, you know, is it part of our job to enfold that into the organization and say, hey, we're here, we care, and we, you know, we want to be part of that fight? Well, I, think it, I yeah. think it is, but I, but I would, I would add one other thing that I don't think Scott said yet, and that is, I really don't think that most people in ACB um, have much of a clue about what racism is and how it operates. And so I think one of the first things that we really need to do, and I, and I think it would apply to prejudice against people with disabilities, prejudice against gay folks, I mean, it doesn't really matter 
what you're talking about. But the fact is that I don't really think that most people in ACB have a clear notion of, of um, what those, those kinds of components of racism are. And so I think one of the things that we need to do is to go right back to the beginning and start from the beginning and begin to create uh, an understanding of how we are different from one another. I, I don't know what the board's plan. They, they, at this last board meeting, they, they addressed some of these issues and had a consultant come in and talk about uh, diversity. Um, right. I don't know what's coming out of that. There's, I, I hope there's a plan that people are thinking about. Um, I, I wasn't terribly impressed with the consultant, but um, that's me. Um, I mean, she was talking about collaborating over having, you know, an African-American figure on the $20 bill. And to, in my way, thinking that's nice and should happen, but it's not what I would call the number one thing that we need to collaborate about. Exactly. But, um, uh, that's just me. Um, but I don't know. Do we, do we know what's come out of the board uh, or what will uh, as a result of that conversation? Have any steps been, been I don't uh, think, thought through I don't think yet? we do. I don't think we do know. Um, and and, and it's got to not only come out of the board, but it's also got to come out of um, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Some uh, affairs. Um, oh, cultural affairs. affairs. Yeah. 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 Multicultural affairs, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, part of the problem is that. I think multicultural affairs um, probably needs to spend some time um, doing some training within its 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 own organization in in order to be ready to do the kind of outreach to the rest of the organization that it needs to. You know, I don't want to romanticize what happened in in the sixties and early seventies, but the civil rights movement. You know, everybody stood as a wall together, LGBTQ folk, black folk, Asian folk, you know, all the marginalized and unrepresented, you know, communities came together and said, hey, it's time for a change. Obviously, you know, the the African-American folks had the lead because that was what was the most, you know, underappreciated and, and most, you know, beat upon community at the time but i think as a you know as one of the disabled communities we need to reach out to all the other communities that are out there both in the disabled world right. and in you know the mm -hmm. cultural worlds and we all need to stand together and say hey no more we're all I, humans i, I think you're right but I think, humans. I think you need to um recognize that there was 14 years between the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964 and the first glimmer of disability regulations in 76. That is true, absolutely. And, and, and what we were told specifically by people in the, what was then called the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, I think it's Leadership Conference on yep. Civil Human Rights nowadays, that they did not want to talk about uh, opening Title VII of the Civil Rights Act to include oh. disabilities. 
And that's how, um, you know, Bob Bergdorfer and Chris Bell, who were totally pioneers uh, on the, the precursor of, of what would become the ADA in 1990, why I think they had to do what they, they needed to do. I would love to hear what, what Chris's take would be on that for sure. Uh, yeah, me too. That's my understanding of how it, how it came down. Because I remember in, in going to LCCR meetings shortly after uh, I started working at ACB, uh, you know, there was talk because they were, the, the, they were up against the reauthorization of the Civil Rights Act of 65. And um, we were talking about, you know, what about, what, what can we do in the disability arena? And that's when we were told, forget Title VII. Yeah, nothing is the answer. At yeah. least it was then. I, I think, I think truthfully, they've again they they have moved in in some better directions now. That's what I'm thinking. It's time to kind of band together. Thank you, gentlemen, yeah. for answering my questions. You are two very fine, very intelligent, and incredibly friend worthy gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Right Thank back you, at Anthony. you there, Phil, and the yeah. checks in the mail. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Donahue. <laughs> <laughs> my Mr. little Latin, my little Latin Marlowe is in on a on another call for scholarships and stuff, but he would oh, say hello really? if he okay. were here. <laughs> All right, well, tell Marlowe we said hello. Hey, gentlemen, Scott and Paul, how are you guys doing? It's Chris Bell. Oh, oh there you are. There you go. Hey, Chris. Now, now you'll hear from somebody yeah. that knows what he's talking about on this stuff. <laughs> oh, no. You, you guys know what you're talking about. Um, you know, the I was never a big fan of amending Title VII to stick disability, and it never made sense right. to me because it would never meet our needs. You know, yeah. reasonable accommodation in Title VII was a like a de minimis standard for religion. Yep. And, and it had nothing in terms of changing... Uh, all the different barriers that people with disabilities face. So it never made any sense to me. And I, I, and, I agree with that. Yeah. So, so, uh, but I got into arguments with people at ACB about it, but that's why Bob Berggruff and I, um, you know, wrote accommodating the spectrum of individual abilities. And then we wrote a, a, a an article on a blueprint for, for an ADA. And then Bob went over to the national council, what was then called national council on the handicap and wrote the first, First version. So, yeah, we were totally committed to doing it differently. But in terms of uh, the question about diversity and whatnot, um, I happen to think that um, as an organization and within our affiliates, we need to try to make connections with other disability groups. And um, e even if that's tentative on, a, on particular issues like uh, legislation and state legislators, I mean, when I was in Minnesota, um, I was the co-chair of the Minnesota Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities. And, um, you know, we were a cross-disability organization. And I would testify in, in the Minnesota legislature on things like the welfare rights organization bills uh, in support of them. Because, you know, uh, as far as I was concerned, we're all in the same boat. Um, and I think that, that we need to do more of that, even if it is uh, tentative and uh, based on, you know, some legislation here and maybe a regulation there that, that we need to be 
seen as as part of the effort to advance the rights of of people and to meet people's economic needs. And there's there's no no good reason, in my view, why we should just stay in our blindness silo. I'm not ignoring blindness issues, but right. certainly not. But I think that we can get more if we give more uh, in terms of some of these other issues. And I, I think in the long term, uh, that's in our best interest. But, you know, that's just my point of view. Well, you're, you're probably right, but it's, it is so hard to do in my view because the, the other minorities are, are, are so convinced that they need to have priority and, and that, that essentially we, we don't need it. Or at least I would but argue it's, that. See, if, if we're talking about priority, we're missing the boat. All right. Okay. There are things that we can agree on. All right. In terms of uh, needs that we can gotcha. be supportive of. And right. um, it doesn't mean we have to, you know, be, be in the lead or it's our stuff versus your stuff. Right. That only goes downhill. Right. Um, we're not always going to agree. And we didn't always agree on the Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities. But people, you know, the, the, the group got to take positions, but then individual members could, could not agree. And so we just had a list of, you know, here are our 100 members and here are the 60 of them that agree with this position. So, you know, it is doable. It just takes a lot of work. And it does. Uh, it's not work I'm going to do because uh, I'm running out of steam. <laughs> and Scott and I were both born in June of 1951. And, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, I understand. I totally understand. And, and Scott did introduce me to my first wife, Barbara Nelson, who was a staff attorney. She was a very close colleague of mine. And um, at you know, it was funny because we, we did work so closely together on things. Members would call one of us and then call the other one to find out if we'd give them different answers. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that never worked until people understood that uh, we were we were definitely consistent with what we the advice that we gave and, and uh, that we talked to each other all the time. But she was a joy to work with. Uh, Excellent. Well, Scott, it's great to talk to you. And great it's to nice talk to, to hear you, your Chris, voice. It's I'm been so a long glad time. You added added your voice to this conversation, and hope you'll do yeah. you more of it. Um, Me too. Your, at at your, some your point, we're going to get you on again too, Chris. Talk about yeah, okay. right. You you need to talk you about need some to other spend stuff. Two hours, uh, which I think is impossible to talk two hours, but um, we're working on it though. Uh, but you yeah, are. definitely. Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, take care. Are you Thanks, still in Minnesota? Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I live Minnesota? in North Carolina now. North Carolina now. Okay. Yeah. He is the he is the president of our affiliate there. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, uh, right. you know, about a third of the people down here think that the South won the Civil War, and yeah, a third are still fighting want, it. That that, um, that that is totally amazing. Uh, that's another well. conversation for maybe off air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I remember right. going to the, I've got a story to tell you, and, and I think it was North Carolina, maybe it was South, but I think it was North Carolina, and uh, I was very impressed that the, the ladies of the affiliate brought all this food mm -hmm. into the hotel, and the hotel allowed it to happen, it was marvelously good, and all this other stuff, and I was on the program, and the first order of business was to to... Uh, pass around all their auction items. Mm -hmm. um, and number one on the auction list was a rifle. 
Really? And I freaked out. I mean, I don't want to even touch a gun. Period. Thank you very much. That's uh, one of my one of my hobbies, Scott. Uh, okay, okay. I own quite Chris, a few you're, firearms. You're okay. And I you're go with another okay. blind guy down here. I know there shooting. are. Oh, I know there are blind people that do it. It just it just freaks me out. Um, so, so <laughs> Scott, may, may I assume you didn't bid on that rifle? No, I didn't. No, I they were they didn't get into the bidding right then. They were just showing people what they had, if if I remember right. <laughs> But this liberal boy from, uh, you know, the, the East Coast just totally couldn't. couldn't and my yeah. father was a hunter. I hasten to add, so was my grandfather. Um, you know, it's right, right up there with, you know, uh, my dad was an auto mechanic and owned a gas station for a while and, until too many people pulled a gun on him. Um, but he always used to say, thank God, Scott, you're going to work with your brains because you don't want to get your hands dirty. But anyway, <laughs> he was a great guy. Uh, right, I'm going to go Singer. so, you guys, can, thank you, so much. Uh, you guys can talk to some other folks. Thanks a yep. lot. Thanks, bye -bye. Chris. Take care. Bye-bye. Yep. Mr. Rick? Yeah, Gene, please. Gene. Hey, Scott and Paul. Gene, man, From how are New you? York. I'm good. How are you? I we couldn't well. miss that voice. Well, I, I have to talk. Uh, I have to tell a couple stories. Um, about you, um, uh -oh. they're not bad, really. If they're not well, bad, you can't tell. I, them. I don't know them. You're lucky. Um, and and if, I, I don't know how, if you know any about me, so I don't want to tell any about you. So. Ah, um, yes, okay, yes. okay, okay. But first of all, you do remember Ruth Williams, don't you? From um, she lived in Albany, New York. She was. I don't know. Ruth Did you know Williams? Her? No, I don't think so. Well, she was a good friend of MJ's and uh, an older lady. She was a rehab teacher mm -hmm. and she kind of got me involved the same way MJ got you involved. Ah. Um, I went around and sold candy at all the state buildings. Ah, okay. okay. You get permission to go in and I'd sit there all day and sell candy and I'd sell candy in the hotels when they were having their meetings, oh, you know, cool. and right. uh, yeah, that's how I got in. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the story I wanted to tell is when I was in eighth grade, you would have probably been a sophomore because you mm -hmm. said when you graduated. So that's how I figured it out. Uh -huh. um, they let us out of school one day, a whole bunch of us blind kids. And they took us down to what I guess was the county building. And they, I only remember a few things about the day. One of them was that they bought us lunch out of the vending machines. Yeah. Um, they showed us the holding cells. Yes. And they took us in, I guess, probably one of the courtrooms. And I'm assuming was it was the Buffalo? VA. Yeah. I and was I'm, there and, yes, and, and the DA spoke to us. I remember. And, yeah. And the only other thing I remember is that none of us knew anything about anything, but you asked all the questions. <laughs> oh, no, really? So oh, I, I, I suspect that you had uh, becoming a lawyer on the brain even back then. <laughs> I did. Yep. I, I totally yep. did. And, yep. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't remember. I, I knew nothing about any of that. It was just, you know, it was a day to get out of school and hey, why not? Yeah. You know? And yeah. I, I just remember sitting there and I remember I'm calling you Scotty, so I don't know if you knew oh. him before then or what. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, you, but I just remember that you asked all the questions. Uh oh. Yep. Okay. Yep. But I remember that. I remember that that time though. Yeah. Uh, with with the DA, um, and uh, yeah, that was that was really quite amazing. Yeah. Name Mike uh, Mansfield, wasn't it? No, wasn't Something. it Dylan? I think was it Dylan? I don't know. I don't know. I I I, I don't really remember. 
Yeah. But anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, any Jean, other stories, so Gene? Or, or, uh, any other stories that, that uh, I should know about? <laughs> the only other one I remember is when the Lions Clubs in West Seneca used to have those um, car rallies, bolathons, and they'd, they'd come to Batavia and they'd bring a bunch of their kids, and, and then a bunch of us from the school would go over and we'd bowl against each other. And they always made sure that, you know, we won. And then they give us like five dollars or something. And I remember you and your parents coming to one of those one time. Oh, okay. The only other thing I remember about you in those days. Okay, I know we we, we the my dad was a big Lions member, and and we copied the Braille Rally thing from Batavia and did it rallies? locally. Yes, oh, those were fun. That was a lot of fun. The only problem is I could never do them because I was responsible for brailing and you know oh, getting the exactly. stuff thermoformed and all that yes. yeah yes. yeah yeah yep. yeah those, those were fun, I, I, they gave trophies to the top 20 people and and i think i got two trophies out of the four years i was good there. for you yeah, nice Braille rallies are fun Jane, oh, totally. Miss Jean, thank you so much okay have a good night both of you bye bye yep. mr rick Terry Pacheco, please. Oh, no. Oh, here, oh, here, here she is. There's more stories from someone that I work with. Oh, hello, Terry. Good evening. My two of my favorite guys, well, <laughs> especially to pick on. Good. You know, I think this. We're ready. We're ready. We are. You're ready. We're ready. Actually, no, I, I was going to actually be nice to you tonight, Scott. Is that for uh -oh. something different? Uh oh, I'm not sure. nice to she's the one that gives me braille all the time. So, you know, there's definitely a good thing about not and to mention I, great and I don't, Irish meals. And oh, I my was just going to say, I don't give you braille, I give you nutty Irishman. Oh, a nutty Irishman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Paul's, I think Paul's had one or two of my nutty Irishman as I well. I think so too. I have. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I was going to be nice. Um, one of the things, and I, I was late getting on tonight, but, and I don't, but I don't think it got mentioned, mm -hmm. but I think one of the greatest things that you, that one of the many great things that you did for ACP was back in the eighties for the membership who wasn't in Washington all of the time and who couldn't be there all of the time yeah. doing the Washington Connection. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, every Thursday night, you, turn, you called the Washington Connection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or after, after 11 at night or something. Yeah. When they, because we had to share the, the 800 number because of the funding and such. Right, and right. I think that's, that I think brought so many people into it to develop the interest in things like legislative seminar. Yeah. And that, because it was, the much more, you know, the Braille Forum is one thing, it's monthly, but with what you were doing on a weekly basis and keeping people up to date on important issues, I think was one of the best things that happened to ACB as far as its membership Thank was Thank you concerned. very much. It was fun to do. And uh, the other thing we did too, and I, I remember, and you'll remember this, Vernon Henley, uh, for whom uh, our, our media award is named, Mm -hmm. uh, used to produce ACB reports every yes. month. And I had a section on ACB reports and 
fortunately, he was always able to make me sound good and take out the ums and the ahs. And the <laughs> <laughs> and uh, frequently, I'd say something wrong, and we'd have to do a redo. And oh, it was amazing. But I uh, he was a great guy, and a great asset, and uh, he was. And we used back then. One he of the things that was was amazing was uh, the programs that he prepared for the convention about the convention city we were in. Ah, yes. Yes. Those were so cool. Yeah. yeah. And he did that with tape this is before digital. He did. Editing he did. Too, you know? Yes. I mean, uh, yep. Yeah. It was totally pretty amazing. amazing. Yeah. Yep. Miss so. Terry, anything else? I think that'll take care of it. Um, you're both Thank invited you, to my house. You're both invited to my house when you're fully vaccinated for last year's corned beef and cabbage. Well, I'm, I'm half nice. vaccinated. I'm doing my second one next well, Friday. Do you? Am, we got, we got am, hours left. Or this coming week. Friday, I should say. This I am Friday. fully vaccinated. There uh, you go. We two, have about three out. more days. We have about three more days to go. Good. To good, be good. fully vaccinated. Excellent. We could go last Sunday. Good Thank you, you Miss Terry. Put a plug Take in care. for visibilities, too. Why don't you do that? Visibilities. Yes. And we're also doing this Thursday night, not quite for visibilities, but in general, we're doing a vaccination celebration. Oh, awesome. All right. I think that go. sounded like something. You know, we've all been through a lot of miserable things this year, but we've also accomplished a lot this year. Yeah. Um, you know, we really have. How many of us would have thought that we could have stood being at home for a year? <laughs> you know, and we've succeeded at it. There's a lot of things we've succeeded at. Yeah. Yep. And Friday night we're doing um it's the it's Good Friday. We're doing Easter traditions and I think AAVL is going to be doing something on their survey as well. But yeah. last Friday night was fabulous for anybody that missed it. I'm trying to get the the uh at least the link out to people of the recording of it um of with birding with um Jerry Barrier. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a name. That was, we, we had a huge yeah. turnout for it. Wow. And I've gotten all kinds of requests for copies of the recording of it. So that's my that job is, for the next couple of days. That <laughs> is excellent. Terrific. Miss Terry, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, both of you. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. Mr. Rick. Pam, coffee, please. Miss Pam. Yes. This is a fascinating presentation. Um, Thank you. While I have been an ACB member for quite some time, I was not one back in the real early days. And in addition to that, I am horrible with acronyms. So my questions are two of them. Uh, refresh my memory. What was the knack? And my other question is, who was this lady that you're referring to as MJ? Wow. Shame on us for acronyms. Yep. We all fall into that trap. We do. Paul, do you want to take that question or you want me to? Well, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the first half and you can take the second. Okay. Um, the NAC stands for the National Accreditation Council for Agencies serving the blind and visually impaired, or that's what it was called towards the end. Okay. Um, in, in the beginning, it was a little different. And, and its whole idea was to set minimum standards that agencies for the blind were required to meet um, in, in order to demonstrate that they were delivering good services to folks who were blind or visually impaired. 
does that council still exist? It does. Um, the board of directors of NAC, um, which I was on until it dissolved, was transferred over to AER, which stands for the Association for the Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired. Okay. And they are continuing to do accreditation. And um, we're hoping that under AER, when it, since, it, since it won't be associated with ACB, we might in fact be able to get um, more buy-in from the National Federation of the Blind, who for the most part doesn't like that. <laughs> Mr. Scott. And M.J. Schmidt um, was a matriarch of the ACB, one of the founding mothers uh, back in 61. And um, she was, uh, I met her when, when I was at, going to school at the University of Rochester. Um, and uh, she was an incredible lady. Um, she passed away uh, uh, within the last couple of years and um, uh, big shoes to fill. Right. And MJ and, stands for Mary Jane. Mary Jane, correct. Yeah. Okay. But in later life, she preferred MJ as opposed to Mary Jane. Right. She did. As a oh, lot I of people do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you must right, have dear. started law. You must have started law school when you were five years old. Oh, aren't <laughs> you nice? No, 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 no. I was. I started law school in 73, 73 to seventy six. And uh, in the, in nineteen seventy three. Okay. Yes, nineteen seventy three. Exactly. I was finished. Yeah. I was finished my masters in. Uh, Gosh, 67. Oh, you must have been five years old when you started college. Yep, Yep. just very old. Thank you so much for your call, dear. (laughs) Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, Pam. And and, and Uh, you know, that's another thing that's important to do. I'm sure you'd agree, uh, Paul, in in your career and what you've done all, all, is you hire smart people around you you do. And not only do they make you look good, but it lets you do all the more because you can feed on, on their talent because none of us, none of us can do it all. Right. And, 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 and truthfully, you know, I, I was so fortunate to have you around at, at, at ACB when I first started doing resolutions, because whether you think so or not, you had a much <laughs> better notion of what was going on than I did. I, I, I remember I used to get, I, I used to be doing these, these resolutions and then people would come rushing up to the stage and say, you're recognizing all the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, thank you. I, I always felt that I had to walk a very thin line because right. I was staff. I wasn't the person making the right. policy by any means. So if I was if I was helpful, I'm 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 glad of that. Oh, you were you were very helpful, and and you had actually written some staff resolutions, which which we worked on together, oh, which yeah. made things a lot easier. And and many yeah. many times since then, staff don't write them; they they wait for the resolutions committee to write them, mm-hmm. which is too bad. <clears throat> Mr. Rick, yes, Mr. Rick, yeah, Melanie, please. Ooh. Melanie Brunson, I'll bet. 
I bet hey, you. Hello, Scott and Paul. Hello, this Melanie. Is... How are you? I'm doing well, and it's so good to hear your voice. Well, thank you very um, much. It's nice you guys are you. bringing back a lot of memories. Oh, very totally. quickly, I wanted to say that I think you're both absolutely right. DOJ needs to get off of their posteriors and get the web regulations right. done. Um, they've been talking about it since, um, well, for way too long. Yeah. I, I think um, eight, 16 years is too long. Oh, it is too long. To get off the dime. But I wanted to ask Scott about mm -hmm. something that you all have not talked about um, that has nothing to do, well, I guess in some ways it does have to do with public policy. But <clears throat> sometime when I was at ACB, some, Scott's name came up and someone said, ah, oh, Scott, they didn't say knows about the ADA. They didn't say is a crack lawyer. They said, Scott is the gadget king. He has every <laughs> gadget there ever was. So I want to know, Scott, um, if you can talk a little bit about your technology evolution. Oh, boy. <laughs> how did you, how did I, you I think get, Scott and I, your first I think Scott and I were essentially at the same level yeah, we of, were, of we were, gadget we corruption. Each other. We, yeah. we did. <laughs> Probably, um, yeah. <clears throat> well, technology has changed my life uh, in terms of how, how to handle information. Uh, and, and it's becoming increasingly more difficult, uh, it seems to me, in this day and age when your boss wants an answer two minutes ago. Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, I, I, I think as the web becomes even more complex, we are we're still playing a catch-up game, um, and things are getting harder rather than easier. Um, I wish they were easier. Um, I'm thinking about it's very controversial at the moment. These new overlays—they're not yep, some, they've been around like the accessibles and the audio eye and, and all that stuff that causes, you know. Uh, lots of problems, um, but uh, so. But anyway, you're right. I, I've always been interested in gadgets. My mother tells the story, or when she was alive, she told the story about my taking apart the phone all the time to record, uh, hooking my tape recorder, all the rest of that stuff. And for a while, I couldn't get the phone back together, and she'd get mad at me and. You know, at the time, you'd call New York Telephone, and for five bucks, they could not put it back together again. Uh, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I was at have always an early adopter on right. technology, as was Paul. We spent a lot of money, probably needlessly, but we did. It, it. On the other hand, you know. It's and I think happened. most of us spent our own money rather than oh, an agency. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally, totally. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, and, and you know this too, Melanie, in order to stay competitive, you yep. need to use every every quiver at your disposal. I mean, every tool yep. in your quiver uh, that, that, that's there. And uh, and that's a must. That That's total must. It's a 
right it takes time and, and i think i think that we can say that there there are still loads of problems in terms of accessibility but i think we can also we are also forced to say it seems to me that given the internet there there is far more information that's accessible to us who are blind or visually impaired than there's ever oh, been before oh absolutely no oh, absolutely yeah, yeah. No and, uh, and that's pretty amazing. But I'm also amazed at, 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 at blind people who don't spend time right. updating skills and right. staying on top of it. I, I think the, the younger generation does a much better job at it yeah. than we do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, um, I'm stop, a firm talk, believer. Stop talking about me, Scott. Oh, stop. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. How often have I come to you for advice on technology? A lot. Sure. <laughs> um, but a- anyway, it, it's it's it, it's something that, uh, and and the, and, the, and now that we have things like Zoom and remote learning and and have worked out a lot of those details thanks to the pandem- pandemic, uh, you know maybe there's a silver lining there. Um, hopefully, we can get training out to people. Uh, more effectively than ever before. Uh, I, I would agree with that. And that's the biggest thing that we need. You know, and I would argue that somehow we have to tie training in things like the use of iPhones or, or other phones mm-hmm. um, and older people together. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. Um, in, in my view, until we enable older people to be fully included, we're we're not going to get anywhere in terms of in terms of creating a, a readiness to to be fully included. Right, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the 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 good news there though is I think people who are losing sight later in life these days mm-hmm. uh, are much shrewder consumers than than I ever was in terms of demanding uh, right. system, not. And they already have a lot of the technology ability too. Yeah. And they've learned a lot, um, yep. you know, as sighted people. Um, so that's the advantage. Uh, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that they don't need information and don't need training and our, and our help, but I think they're in a, in a good position to do that uh, right. today. As Jonathan and- says it's a great time to be a blind guy. I think mm-hmm. that's right. Miss Melanie, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Uh-huh. Mr. Thanks, Melanie. Diane, please. Diane. Good evening. Diane Skelsey. Uh, <laughs> I was going to suggest that I thought that, Scott, that you and I may have gone to the same school. I know that Jean and I did because we graduated together. But anyway... Um, I also have an MJ story, but that's not why I raised my hand, although I will say that I did not realize how important she was at the time that I knew her. Um, My question is, uh, my mother read me an article that I think was in the Buffalo Evening News back around the time that I graduated from college, Mm -hmm. would have been sometime in the 70s, about what a hard time you were having. Um, finding a job. And, uh, you know, I wondered if you remembered that. And I thought it said in there that you worked for the FCC. I, and I, if I, I do now. I do now. 
uh, since uh, since 2000, I've worked for the FCC. Oh, okay. I, I, and and uh, we actually didn't even talk about that, Scott. No, we didn't even talk about that. But the, um, um, I think the rest of this stuff is much more fun. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, the, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of us did have trouble getting a job initially, uh, uh, especially uh, in in the earlier days when we didn't have things like computer assisted mm -hmm. research that was right. And I, and, and I think there was, um, th there's no question that, that there was pretty unequivocal discrimination going on then. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And, and, and my, my mother, I think read that article to me because for one thing, she, I think it said that you went to Batavia. So she figured that I knew you right, right. and um, you know, I think she maybe was giving me a warning about, you know, maybe what kind of a situation I was going to be in since I was just entering the job market. Thanks a lot, uh, you guys. Well, thanks, Cute. Diane. But I'm glad you didn't take it too seriously because, you know, it, it, you know, anybody's mileage can vary. There's no question about that. So, Mr. Scott, we are about three inches, three inches, three <laughs> minutes away. We made it. Oh, my gosh. We made it by the clock. Okay. And I, wondered, on, and I wondered if you would like to um, give your email address in case people want to drop you a note. Certainly. It's Scott, S-C-O-T-T, -T, dot Marshall, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, -L, the number two at gmail.com. Excellent. And are, are you minded to give out a phone number or would you prefer not? G uh, well, why don't you do the 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 the, the email is probably best. Very uh, good. And if people don't have a phone number, send some send a note to Paul or whatever, and and I'll you'll get the phone number. Uh, this is true. This yeah. is true. Rick, anything anything to add before before we wind this down? No, I Rick, thank great, you for your help today. Oh, Rick. you're very welcome. Great show, guys. No, we're all set, big guy. Good. All right. Excellent. Good. So I have All no right. idea what we're doing next week um, on Tuesday topics, um, but but I will try to let people know by tomorrow. In the meantime, Mr. Scott, you have lived up to all of my expectations. The only thing Thank is, we probably have another two hours worth of conversation that we could manage. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, well, we'll I mean, have to think about it. You know, we will. We don't want to do overexposing here, but we, <laughs> people get sick of it. But uh, yeah, over overexposing. I'm not going there, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We already <laughs> talked about uh, hanging out on a, on a hotel bed. So what else? We, what else? We do. And, and we, we do explained that. what we meant by that too. Yeah, that 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 it was. Uh, you know, it really wasn't until 15 years later that we started <laughs> to actually get get real honest to God meeting rooms for for conventions that's, true. that's very very true um very, so very true. and and those uh, were the days those were thanks for the walk down memory lane i appreciate it it's been fun well i i enjoyed it very much mr scott and we thank you so much tuesday topics wouldn't be there were it not for rick morin and uh and our streamer you guys are what makes tuesday topics effective and successful so I would like to thank both of you for Absolutely. all the work that you do every week 
to make Tuesday Topics the success that it is. And I am looking forward no end to uh, being with everyone next week on Tuesday Topics. If you have ideas about topics you'd like me to cover, feel free to send me an email at edwards.paul955 at gmail.com. In the meantime, every Tuesday we get to discuss something new and hopefully get you to think in some new and different ways. Good night, everyone. <laughs>